Thank you both for that uh, reading. It's quite a mammoth one. Actually, I don't know quite what it says that I've uh, been given a talk to speak on three chapters and there's communion and there's a forum. I get the feeling I'm not supposed to say very much. So I'll, I'll try, and, uh, try and go with that. But first, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Esther. And we pray now that as we look into this ending, that we will see something of you. And Lord, beyond that, may it touch and even change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we come to the end of our series. Started off about six weeks ago. Um, I think I threw up a few maps and we looked at the Persian Empire and a little about King Xerxes and the Queen Vashti. Then Jez took us through Esther becoming queen and the process and the detail that was in that and the beauty of Esther, not just her physical appearance, but her character that people were drawn to. And then Peter considered the intricate plot of Haman to destroy the Jews. And we saw there Mordecai as well coming up against that seemingly alone. And then Chris focused on that event, perhaps most famously, where Esther showed great courage and revealed herself as a Jew and took action. And then last week we enjoyed Sim giving us an incredible outworking of the rise of Mordecai and the fall of Haman. And we had all sorts of uh, things going on here. And now we come to this decisive and defining moment, the saving of the Jews. And it seems that the king was powerless to stop the enemies of the Jews attacking, having already given his permission earlier. And so we see an edict allowing the Jews to gather and fight. Not only that, but the king's forces are to enable and assist the Jews in their defense. And so we see the story conclude. Esther and Mordecai have managed to avert the disaster that threatened their people. And instead of being wiped out in an act of genocide, it's turned around and they are victorious. A great Jewish celebration is then inaugurated, Purim, And it's still celebrated as a joyous occasion with much feasting and revelry. And we know from our point in history that looking back, there have been many oppressions of the Jews since this time. Perhaps most well known to us is probably the Holocaust of the Second World War. But Passover and Purim remain as Jewish celebrations of God's great saving work. Well, to be sure, there appears to be a lot of killing, bloodshed, and violence in this ending. And we may question, could it have been averted? Is this really the only way God can save his people? 
Surely some of those enemies of the Jews were innocent, or at least didn't deserve death. Our culture and society today is different. And probably we would do well to remember that. We do see perhaps that killing and death are a bit different for us than at this time. We tend not to glorify war and leaders who make great conquests at the expense of other peoples. Worth remembering, though, that for British leaders, this is actually, historically, a recent approach. No more than 200 years. And as we see elsewhere in the Bible, God does allow man to travel paths that are not the best. God allows people freedom, but he also allows the consequences of their actions. And today, we still witness war. Those who would seek to oppress and control. We're not beyond all this. It's still happening. As we've looked through this book, we've suggested that God is at work. We know that God is not mentioned. But he is at work in numerous ways through this book, even without that mention of him specifically. That's actually not that unusual in our experience. Think about creation. Some of us might go out for a walk and we might see wonderful things around us and our thoughts turn to God. God isn't mentioned specifically with three letters on the side of a mountain or G-O-N-D out there on the horizon of a beautiful turquoise sea. God is at work. God is there. But he's not mentioned specifically by name. And what about in the lives and circumstances of those around us? Our family, our friends, those we work with. Again, we might see God at work without necessarily a specific mention of him. And consider those who follow and serve Christ in countries where it's illegal to actually do that. They may have to hide like Esther, and carry out their work, often educational or medical, without mention of God, or persecution will follow. There are also numerous testimonies of those who come to faith and then realize God has been working in their lives in hidden ways. And we've recently heard such stories here in Testimonies at Paulswood. So what is God's work? It is a saving work. The story of Esther is not God's first saving act in the Bible. We see God give people a chance to start again, saving those who are on Noah's Ark. We see the Israelites rescued from Pharaoh and come out of Egypt. Slaves are set free. We see King David save people from war with the Philistines and rule in peace. 
We even see God save the Ninevites through a message from an Israelite prophet, Jonah. This is the work of God. God saves people, restores them, releases them. God saves those who humbly trust him, have faith in him, act in accordance with his way. What does he save them from? He saves them from destruction. That might be physical and it might not be. He saves them from spiritual destruction. And so it is here in Esther. The Jews are not destroyed. I'd like to give out um, a summary of Esther. Now, I've highlighted here a letter, which I hope... Is that clear what letter it is? So... What we've got is this um, cartoon story of Esther, which you can read if you don't want to listen to anything else I've got to say. Um, But you can see from the layout of this, this is Bible Speaks, um, not Bible Speaks Today, the Bible Project, sorry. Um, You can see from the layout the symmetry of the story, but what's more interesting as well, or equally as interesting, um, that as the story progresses, there are similar Events like banquets that happen that point and a symmetrical point the other side. What we've got is the rise of the low, like Mordecai and the Jews, through to the end of the story, they ascend. And then at the beginning, we've got these great powers, and Haman is part of that, and we watch his destruction through the story. So we've got this happening. So I'm sure when you get this, you'll see the interesting point is that what we call pivot point where the X crosses over. And I'll let you see uh, what you think that might be. Um, So um, I'm also going to um, give out a pen and uh, an envelope. So um, thanks, Hannah. Yes, any help would be great. Uh, So there's, yeah, pens and envelopes or do you want to do those and then... Thank you very much for, for that help. Um, while you are um, having a look at that, it's worth remembering that, and I don't, I don't know if we, any of us mentioned this, um, Esther, the very meaning of that word is slightly different. If you look at the Persian, Esther appears to mean star, but the same sort of sound in Hebrew is translated hidden which is quite interesting, well, I think. Um, So Esther, if you take the Hebrew meaning, is hidden. Um, And we are going to hide, hide this sheet. But um, what I'd like you to do is just fold your sheet so that it will fit in the envelope. And write on it, God is at work. So if you write on your folded sheet, God is at work. And then you can put it in your envelope. If you think you might want to read the um, 
summary later, I'd suggest you don't seal it, but I'd just leave it in there. So you've got hidden in this envelope a statement that you know says God is at work. And I'd encourage you, take that home and then either leave it somewhere where you occasionally come across it and it might jog your memory. You know what's in there. It says God is at work. But it's hidden. You won't always see it. Or you could hide it away. This is um, something you might do in a bit more trust or faith. Hide it somewhere. Completely hide it. So that um, maybe God could cause you to come across it at an opportune time when you most need it. And you realize, wow, oh yes. God is at work. But really, I'd like to um, conclude by saying, and perhaps it's a question that's formed in your mind, why doesn't God have a way of just saving people once and for all? We see in the Old Testament these repeated, what it seems to be, attempts. God tries to save these, these people and it fails, ultimately. Surely God can do something better. Well, a lot of these saving situations are pointers. They are pointers towards Jesus Christ. And so God does have a way of dealing once and for all with evil, with Satan, defeating death, setting the world to rights and making an end to every wrong thing. And many of us here know this is exactly what God is doing right now. In fact, the rescue, the saving and the defeating of Satan and death and the dealing with sin, that is all done. It's complete. Jesus has accomplished this in his death and resurrection. He has saved all who will call on him and be identified with him as one of his. There is still some outworking to do, just like at the end of this book of Esther. But that edict is written. The forces are in place waiting for the day. So what is to do now? How do we get ready? Well, Jesus calls us to simply follow him, become his disciples. And you can start that today. Begin looking at the life of Jesus, his teaching. And start to act on his words. Maybe ask someone here that you came with today or you've seen at the front. But do get started. Take courage then. Like Esther. Recognize God is at work. Maybe hidden. But trust and act boldly. Boldly.